Episode 91 Israel and the Spy Who Is Not Hello and welcome to AstroTalk UK. ATUK is a not-for-profit podcast produced by me, Gurbir Singh, amateur astronomer and writer based in the UK. I produce this podcast for my own education and share it as a free educational resource with anyone who has an interest. ATUK has no subscribers, ads, and you do not need to log in. For more information, please see the About page at www.astrotalkuk.org. One of the most fascinating and colourful characters associated with the Indian Space Programme is Narayan Nambi. In 1994, as an Israel aerospace engineer, he was falsely arrested by the Investigation Bureau on charges of espionage. He was accused of passing on confidential launch vehicle flight test data to foreign nationals. In 1996, he was cleared by the Central Investigation Bureau and India's Supreme Court found him not guilty in 1998. In 2019, he was presented with India's third highest civilian award, the Padma Bhushan. In 1966, he had joined ISRO, or Inkospa as it was known at the time. With the guidance and support of Vikram Sarabhai, he was sent to study liquid and cryogenic engine technology at Princeton in 1969. He worked on the early stages of the development of the Vicus liquid engines, which now power two of the four stages of the PSLV. In this conversation, recorded at his home in Trivandrum a few days after the unsuccessful attempt at a soft landing on the moon by Israel's lunar lander Vikram, we spoke on a variety of topics. Ahead of a statement from Israel on what had happened, I asked him to speculate on what had gone wrong with the lunar landing. We disagreed on the relative status of India and China's space program, but I did ask him on his ideas about the Asian Space Agency. But first, I asked him on what took him to Princeton. Uh, actually, that's a long story, but I want to be uh, make it short. Mm-hmm. I was basically interested in uh, liquid propulsion systems. Uh-huh. And we didn't have uh, any work on the liquid propulsion system. At that time, what Kalam was doing was mm-hmm. what is called a Menaga rocket, which was a three-inch diameter, a small rocket, <laughs> solid rocket. And uh, I was working with Dr. Kalam. So I thought it is time that one has to make an attempt on the liquid systems. For that, there is nothing. We didn't have any propellant, we didn't have oxidizer, nothing. Actually, I should say practically nothing. Mm-hmm. As somebody puts it, the liquid is only in Kaveri, uh, so we didn't have. <laughs> so I thought somewhere we have to start. So I, the, the closest available at that time was in the engineering college here. So I joined there, and um, morning hours, we, I would go there by 7 o'clock, the classes will start, and by 9 o'clock, classes will be over. Then I come to my, uh, when, what you call the assignment there. <laughs> right. But Sarabhai suggested to me that why not you 
do a subject which is not available in India. Uh, but then you get admission and then uh, I will help you in travel and uh, study. So I applied. In fact, I had already got admission in this 1965 in Princeton. And I didn't uh, take that opportunity to go because of some other reason. And 66 they extended, but uh, nothing I could do. But by the time 69 I applied again. Sarabhai's word. I got it. And that was in the corporation system. Actually, that was in Salim, but I went and I, I went there and converted into the ticket. So, now, it's very interesting. These are, this is 1969. In India, there's hardly any interest in liquid propulsion. If you go back to your, maybe when you were a student, or even when you were a child, what interested you in rockets and particularly propulsion? Not, not, nothing specific. Like anybody else, I was interested in flying. Flying. And I, you know, you look at uh, the flying objects like the aircraft and stuff like that. So when I was doing my engineering, I had uh, my guide, who is actually a heat transfer man, and he suggested why not you do something on what is called an axial flow compressor as my project. So I did that successfully. That compressor was I designed it, fabricated it assembled it, tested it, all by alone. Uh, yeah, that time it was considered to be a tough task, yeah. a single-handed thing. Well, that's a starting point. Yeah. And that is something to do with, uh, you know, liquid fuel. So, if I take you um, back to Princeton, when you finish there, they offer you a job. You turn that down and came back to India. Why did you do that? Actually speaking, I did my master's in some kind of a record time, very fast. I didn't spend my time in uh, going around uh, New York and other places. I, I spent more time on my lab. Because, uh, you know, in, in USA, you really register yourself for your PhD. As part of the whole thing, you get your master's. So I could complete my master's in 10, 10 and a half months time. So they felt that it was too early for them to give me the degree. So they wanted me to do something more. That something more I did uh, in less than two, three weeks. So then I had an opportunity to go around uh, the various aerospace facilities. I went through Aerojet General Corporation, Thayakar Chemical, Hercules Motor Company, Bedero Systems and so on and so forth. Just an opportunity to understand what's going on in USA with respect to. At that time, you know, you must remember that uh, Neil Armstrong was uh, yeah. on the moon. And I actually visited uh, all the aerospace centers wherever it is possible. In fact, we were walking through Apollo 13, myself and H.S. Murthy. And, uh, uh, so I could have settled there because they offered me a citizenship there. And incidentally, I forgot to tell you, I am a NASA fellow. I was a, fellow, a fellowship holder for NASA. And my work was considered to be something interesting and helpful to them. But then when I mentioned this to Dr. Sarabhai, who was uh, that time chairman here, and who was instrumental in myself going to USA, he immediately felt that I should get, get back to India without wasting much time in USA. So I came back. But when you returned from the US, yeah. what did you start doing immediately after you came? Actually, there was no liquid programs, the one which I studied. Mm -hmm. 
So I was I was to continue on the solids. At that time, I was just trying to do something on a, a liquid system, which is a small one, 600 kg, and then which we did, I fitted successfully with a booster. And then I was trying to plan something on three ton. But in Israel, if you don't have an approved project, you don't get the manpower, you don't get the funding, you don't get something like you know you keep. Collecting some money from somebody and then try to do something. That was the situation. So my three ton, they didn't allow me to do it in uh, Tumba because uh, they said it is not safe to uh, test it here on the beach. So I never agreed anyway. And uh, I was more or less driven to Sri I see. And when Sri there was nothing, uh, yeah. no no infrastructure. We just acquired the land. And I met with an accident there, uh, one of the three ton exploded on the, uh, on, on the test stand. And it was a hard sun and tiring and stuff like that. Then I said, this is time to say goodbye to these uh, systems under these conditions. So I came back and then uh, told uh, the chairman saying that it is not going to work anymore. Unless you allow me to with additional budget and additional that is how the idea of uh, the 60-ton engine came, which is the so-called Viking engine. Mm-hmm. So we had an agreement with uh, France. So we went ahead, had an agreement, and that agreement started in 1974. So it went through four or five years. And uh, it was a giant development of uh, the so-called Vikas engine, which is successfully flying now with the French. Then by that time also it was not, uh, you, didn't, you didn't have a kind of, kind of funding. Anyway, it was a struggle which I have explained in my book very long. Finally, we made that engine and then uh, we didn't have a facility to test it. So we tested it in France. And then we got uh, avenue in the ESLB. Then we started getting the funding and then that is why the first flight was in 93. Second flight was in 94, followed by the spy case. <laughs> so, let me just take you back to France. Yeah. You, as part of the early days, you traveled quite widely. You spent time in England as well. Went to Carlisle and St. Adams, and you interacted with BAE and Northwoods. But in France, at about that time, mid-1970s, I came across a very unusual arrangement where, at that the time when France was helped trying to develop uh, their own launcher, uh, the, the beginnings of the Ariane launcher. We did an arrangement where 100 person hours of Israel time would be devoted to this project. And for that, India would receive a technology transfer with help with the, for the Vikas engine. Were you part of that arrangement? Were you aware of it? I'm the architect of it. Oh, see. So, <laughs> what we did was 100 man years. Actually, they had the so called M40 engine. And they were trying to develop the Viking 1. Then later it became 2, 3, 4. Now, what we did was it was a barter arrangement. And we give them services of 100, 100 man years. Actually, to be precise, 75 man years. And then 25 man years of my. My manpower to be deployed as I like it. So that was an equation with which uh, a compensation was given to them. But the entire development will be a part of it. 
we were working on that along with the French uh, scientists. So when you say you were the architect, did you propose that or did France propose Yeah, after this explosion of the three-ton liquid engine mm -hmm. with no budget available. And my chairman was telling that we won't give you the budget, but you do something. I said, it is not possible. But you know, at that time, something, uh, I thought if there is no budget, then how do we generate the budget? So it, it's a long story. I don't think that we can complete yeah, it. So we had the help of uh, the commercial director at that time, Mr. Morain, Raina Morain, and, and who was with us on various other projects uh, with this role. Then we have the reagent Kanwal Grover, and then we have Stian Session, who was uh, so called, he was actually the election commissioner later, and he was very much interested in this. So everybody joined together, put this proposal, and the French liked it because uh, they have to have the confidence in our manpower, which they did have in the beginning, but later they were very much impressed by that. And uh, then our chairman has no reason why he should not approve it of because there was no financial concern. <laughs> but by the time we came back, he was forced to give funding for the realization. But that also he didn't give. He, he couldn't give actually. So he gave a small sum with which I fabricated one, one and a half inch in actually. And then we did that. Then we didn't have a test facility. It's, a, it's an interesting story. It is fascinating. Yeah. And in this barter arrangement, there was also a requirement for India uh, to provide 10,000 transducers, space rated transducers. What kind of transducers are we talking about? They are basically pressure transducers. So again, it is an interesting aspect because they gave the technology, mm -hmm. they were providing the raw materials. And India had to go. And India has to fabricate it, assemble it, test it and go through the qualification. Then submit uh, for their use. The uh, fabrication testing took place here in India. Yes, it was in Bangalore. We, we had a unit. We were using it to fabricate and then test it here, which was sent back to them, which is to be used in their Ariane flights. So they successfully used it for so many years. With that. And it's very interesting this barter arrangement. It didn't happen before, and I don't think it's happened since. Has it? <laughs> I think you are right. I, I, I don't think it has happened earlier. And I don't think that it has it is happening anymore. But the point is a very interesting point. You know, they were in need of uh, you know some kind of an arrangement like that. And we were badly in need of uh, that uh, association. You see, we became acquainted with the bearer of technology. It is not they gave the technology in a silver plate. It is something, you know, you were allowed to work with them. And it was, that's why I said the agreement itself is a joint development. Mm -hmm. And we had, we, we didn't have anything to begin with, excepting the three-ton experience. Yeah. Now they had only the M40 experience. Now they were working towards a program. And that program got updated, you know, they had, uh, you remember, I don't know whether you remember, that's called L3S, they call it. And then at that time, the Australians were going back, the Yeldo programs were getting opened up. And then uh, the so-called Aryan program came into existence. The CP was badly looking for uh, some kind of uh, And they were working through a tight timeline. And yes, yes, yes. Well. So. And actually we have contributed heavily. The battle deal, originally I thought, we are the people to gain fully. But I understood that they also gained quite a bit on the process.
So the Vikasen endings, liquid uh, fuel ending. When did you move into cryogenic ending? Actually, at that time, they were also willing to part with the cryogenic technology at that time. In France? Yeah, yeah. Hmm? They had a HM7. Uh-huh. But we were not willing to take it at that time. We were so intelligent, so we rejected that idea. <laughs> and that was the decision of the chairman, down Yeah, yeah. He wanted uh, to start sitting and then uh, standing and then walking and then running slide. One step ahead. No, actually, honestly speaking, this was not in our charter. The program was not in our charter. So we were having only the liquid systems, and, I'm sorry, solid systems. So this is something which I was keeping on perturbing them and uh, pressurizing them. So they had to, somehow they felt that they were confident on my suggestion. But at the same time, they didn't have this in their project program. They didn't have the money and they didn't want to go to the government for the money. So it's a combination of many things. So finally they made a compromise and said, okay, if this is the case, you go. Then I'm coming back with the success. Then again, you know, like that, then finally they were cornered. And that is how the thing came into existence. Hmm. Then the cryogenic and we didn't grab it at that time. And then we felt the need for GSLV. Then GSLV was in demand of a cryogenic. That time we went into a global uh, tendering with the Americans and the French as well as the Russians. So at that result of that tender, India went with uh, the Russian tender. Is that because the French had increased their prices from the previous regime? I don't know whether they have increased or... Uh, they said their price. And uh, the Americans also said a similar price close to that. But why did India go with... Russia and not France. Very uh, simple reason. The Russians were giving the lowest price. That is one thing. But that's not the only reason. And I had knowledge and understanding that their system is as good or better than that of the Americans and the French. So even there. And what we're talking about here are cryogenic engine and cryogenic engine technology transfer to India. That was their deal. And it was set up in 1991. But by the end of 1991, Soviet Union ceased to exist. And then following the year, America said, oh, I can't allow that MTCR rules to prevent you, Russia, uh, to send these, um, te- this, send this technology to India. So they stopped it. They were forced to stop it by the And then uh, the, I think the original deal was to, for India with Russia to buy two engines and two markups. And as part of this renegotiated deal and ending of it in late 93 uh, or May, um, or by the end of 93, the, the um, uh, agreement had ended. And the renegotiated um, agreement was that India would now buy three additional rockets because that would give them some time to develop the house. But <clears throat> Is that how you remember it? The, the, the issue of Soviet Union coming to an end and the impact of... Well, the Soviet Union came to an end mm-hmm. and uh, Americans uh, certainly issued sanctions against the Yavs Cosmos as well as India. Then you are forced to renegotiate it. And one option is that you can drop the contract and then uh, get back some compensation. 
Another option is you renegotiate and then try to reinterpret it without the technology. Because that objection was only on the technology. Technology. So, yeah. So, we, we complied with that. And then without technology, we have to increase the number of hardwares. So, we enhance the number of hardwares. That's how it was renegotiated. And at that stage, what was your input to the cryogenic uh, engine development here in India? We were hardly down, actually. We didn't know what to do because, you know, you are in the middle of an agreement and then the agreement goes to sort of thing. And everybody felt sad about it. But then we have to pick up somewhere. And uh, we didn't have any, any other go other than doing everything ourselves. Of course, with some exposure, with some input, uh, till that time what was available. So, we went there and then we were trying to do that, yeah. Okay, so if I can turn now to the spike chase as it's called. So in November 1994, um, you were arrested. Can you recall for me very briefly how that day unfolded? It's not a very, shall I say, an interesting incident to recall. Yes, yes you, you, I was arrested. Mm -hmm. Then I was uh, asked to say certain things in the lines which they have fabricated. I didn't have any reason to go ahead and then tell what they wanted. But what they told me is, if you say these, you know, then nothing will happen. You can go and win the case in the court. Whatever you are saying uh, during the interrogation is no validity in the uh, court of law. In any case, I didn't uh, budge that. So by the time what happened, uh, the case got transferred to the CBI. And CBI came and they, they could easily find out that this is a fabricated story. The Central Bureau of Investigation. Yeah, so that is the Central Bureau of Investigation, CBI. That's the government of India. Yeah. IB also is government of India. That's the Investigation Bureau? That is Investigation Bureau. Intelligence Bureau. Intelligence Bureau. They have no powers to investigate. They have intelligence, they can tell, uh, you know, they have the eyes and ears of the government. The CBI has the police powers. They have the right to get into the shoes of the police, of the local government. And then they can investigate, they can file cases and stuff like that. What was the difference in your experience of how you were treated by the IB and how you were treated by no, the CBI? No, IB was fabricating the story. And they are the architect of that, so they were trying to implement uh, what they wanted. Now, CBI is no more an architect, they are open-minded, they are neutral. So they were trying to get the truth. And they got the truth, and it was shocking to them. And on one hand, they were trying to, it's very difficult to believe the truth in that sense. But they could, you know, convincingly got the truth. Or I should, I could uh, convince them how, how it is. Uh, so. For example, I'll tell you, it's a very simple thing. Mm -hmm. The charge was that I sold the Vikas technology and then I also sold the cryogenic technology. These are the two charges. Pakistan? To, to this human, to Pakistan, etc. The most interesting part is uh, that it is for making Pakistan missiles. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, I will come back to the first one. The, the, the so-called cryogenic technology we never had at that time frame. And number two is, it is never used in any missile in the world till date. So, how it can be true? So, I challenge this area. We find out whether there is any missile existing with that, uh, what you call, so-called cryogenic. 
And second is whether we have the technology. So how can you sell something which is non-existent? So that is half. The remaining half, I said, we are giving the Viking engine for fabricating the same outside our ISR. Mm -hmm. There were more than 300 people who opted and exhibited their interest in fabricating it. Mm -hmm. To all of them, I am sending the entire set of drawings to them. And they look at it and they quote and then some of them we accept, some of them we don't accept. Now, when I am willing to distribute the drawings to more than 200 and 300 people in the country, how do you say it is something which I have transmitted the drawings to some two ladies, which is ridiculous. So these two arguments were the basis for them to start looking at it. Nobody else can, I mean, nothing can be argued against it. And the IB personnel were trying to get you to falsely um, denounce your colleagues in Israel, which you refused to do. And that was the heart of the case. So sometime about 14 days in general, and you came out completely vindicated. When you look back now, uh, this was in 1994, how do you think it's changed your life? No, quite a bit. Actually, the first of all, it has kept me away from my soul. Yeah. I, I, it, I got vindicated by the Supreme Court, then I was reinstated. I can't do the project director's job anymore, right. in the sense, as a project director, you were commanding the whole thing. Now, with this stigma, you can't go and command anybody. Not only that, maybe you can command, but it, it will have its own problems. In the net result is the project will suffer. So I didn't want the project to suffer. I said, so I will go for a desk job, a table job. So that's why I shifted myself from here to Bangalore headquarters, uh, where I was actually practically doing nothing. But uh, literally doing some attending, some meetings and stuff like that. So I became absolutely actionless. That is one thing. Probably that is what the fabricators wanted. You know, that is you are, you are removed, to be removed from the action. Which they, according to me, successfully achieved. <laughs> <laughs> when you were presented with the Padman Bushan Award, as presented by the president, how was that been? You must have gone to Delhi for that? Yeah, I went to Delhi. Uh, it was very nice and uh, you see what happened was in 94 when the second PSLV flew, actually I was so happy because uh, this was my system yeah. that is uh, Viking engine and uh, since then Viking has uh, flown more than 46 times till date. Not even a single failure. I am the architect of it. I am the father of it right from the 600 kg till now. So actually it was a milestone achievement as far as ISRO's program goes today even. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big development. Yes. You know, any rock, any big country a lot of people. So what they should have given me in 94, it took so many years for them to recognize and give it to me. It's a de delayed recognition. But at least I'm happy because something was recognized. Yeah. Apart from you, especially when you were, as you said, taken off the scene, who do you think were the other people involved in the development of the PSLV? No, PSLV is having two liquid stages and two solid stages. Two solid stages were developed by the solid group, primarily one colleague of mine by name Rajaram. He was responsible for the solid stage booster as well as the third stage. Second stage which is Vikas and then the fourth stage which is another liquid engine, I was a project director. 
But when you were removed, who took over from you? Actually, I, there are so many people afterwards. Yeah. I was removed and then some four or five people came. There was a different project director for the fourth stage. It another fellow for the second stage. It's a long story. So, so now if you just look back at all this that's happened, it's a long time ago, it's taken, changed your life dramatically. When you look back in retrospect, if you think back to what you were doing, who you were working with, where you were traveling, why do you think they picked on you for this kind of behavior? It gives me an impression that they were trying to stall the, uh, uh, maybe the cryogenic uh, systems, because I was the project director for cryogenic also. Now, I, why I think like that, they have issued sanctions to Russia and ourselves, not to transfer the technology. This is the Americans. Americans. And they said that it is because that it involves, uh, uh, what do you call, missile technology. Now, there is no missile available with cryogenic. So, outright it is not fitting reason. But for some reason they want to stop it. So, that's the starting point. And then the Russia, which got it disintegrated, is obeying the rules and then they were going by the retractors. That's the second point. But then I was actually a key person responsible like project director, Vikas, project director, fourth stage, project director, Krajini, security director, liquid system center, and then associate project director. But a lot of work for one. A lot of work person. So if, if from a project management point of view, is that reasonable to think? Because soon as you know, it's so happened, you know, it so happened. It so happened, you didn't have many people. There were people. But you know, for anything you need a key person. Yeah. Now I was actually a key person. But that key person should have certain qualities. Mm -hmm. Like uh, you know, he must be able to command, he must be able to get things done, and he must also have specialization in at least in one area, yeah. if not in all the areas. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to justify why it was so, but it was so. Mm -hmm. So in that condition, a removal of me will matter a lot to the system. Which, which are, what happened? See, we were originally to get the cryogenics by 2000, 1999 or 2000. But what happened? 2014 only we got it. So, this is what I, I felt that it is something played around to. In your, in the dedication of your book, you say the book is dedicated to your wife and children. I was neither a good husband nor an ideal father. What did you mean by that? <laughs> Actually, this is very clear. It's a simple English only. Namely that uh, I was neither a good husband nor a good father. It means a uh, father has certain duties. Like uh, bring the children uh, and uh, educate them properly. Make sure that they are put into the proper place. Till they you know how to take care of themselves. I didn't do that. So that's why I said that I'm not a good father. Now the same thing applies to a good husband. My these two people, namely the children and my wife, uh, they should be not only appreciated. They I don't know how to use the word thankful, but they put up with me. So that is something great. So that's why I said dedicated to them. <laughs> in the media, in the past anyway, not anymore. You've been referred to as a sinner, spy, and a saint. Which of those do you think is the most accurate? 
I am a marginally person with a good, uh, maybe I, my IQ level is uh, above average and I am a good student. I had good grades, otherwise it is difficult to get admission in Princeton. I am also a NASA fellow. So all those put together shows that uh, you are, uh, you know, above average IQ. Then I delivered the products to you. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm an ordinary person. Only thing is I can say I'm dedicated uh, to my job. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe to, only to my job. Right. Uh, other things I, I didn't bother. And now move on to two other topics that I wanted to discuss with you. Chandrayaan 2, um, you've been following that closely like the rest of us. Vikram Landa doesn't appear to have uh, got there successfully, he's still out of contact a week after it's landed. What do you think could have happened? And I should say, Israel has yet to make a formal announcement on this. Yeah, it is, they, they are looking at uh, various data. Mm-hmm. This is according to me, mm-hmm. it is to reaffirm uh, certain findings. I don't think that they are trying to find out something. I think they know probably. Mm-hmm. According to me, the spacecraft, uh, they couldn't control it actually. The landing was not controlled actually. So the landing was a crash landing as against the soft landing. So the result is possibly the instruments uh, which are inside the lander might have got into a damaged condition. And um, so they are not getting any signals from there. So if it's focused on why did did not land softly? What do you think went wrong? It's again speculation, but I'm I'm reasonably sure that it could be the reason. In the sense, you see, when you do not, are you are not able to control spacecraft. What does it mean? It means in very simple language, uh, it went out of control. Specifically, as a rocket engineer. When you think about uh, reasons why it could have uh, failed in the process that was designed, there are um, many reasons why that could have happened. It could have been uh, altimeter, false altimeter readings, or the altimeters could have been falsely calibrated, or the throttling of the engines, um, or maybe there's a stop valve, or the um, power of the relative power of four engines, maybe one would slide out of face with the others. A speculation I know. <laughs> that you have AC tips, attitude control thrusters, and then you have the braking thrusters. Uh-huh. Now, the, from the specification, uh, and I compare it with, uh, with some other, uh, so for example, Chinese uh, system. Uh-huh. It, looks, it gives me an impression that uh, the, this is not sufficient. Uh, the number of thrusters at the ACT level could not be sufficient. Similarly, the thrust, which is a throttleable engine, yeah. why I say that is that again, if you look at it, uh, the velocity from zero to, it's a 15 minutes journey. So it looks that uh, from that point till you come to the, what you call the first phase of the braking, mm-hmm. uh, you are to regulate the speed from something close to 1700 meters per second to let us say 40 meters per second or something like that. But what happened is, uh, I don't think that you could control that. That is one thing. So it shows, uh, the actually at that crash took, it takes place, that is at the, shall we say, 
at the 13th minute or the uh, 12th or 13th minute. Mm -hmm. The speed appears to be in the range of about 59 meters per second. That is one, one input which uh, right. they give. So in other words, that, that, that only confirms that it's not sufficient. Braking was not sufficient. Then the attitude for you to do a fine tuning, mm -hmm. you need the thrust could be the same, but mm -hmm. the number of thrusters yeah. should be more than what it is. That could have resulted into a toppling or uh, something like that. These two put together could have caused the crash landing right. or uncontrollability. But I am not going to worry about the sensing elements and its efficiency. I have a feeling ISRO is sufficiently uh, strong and then good in designing the sensing element and then that kind of thing. So in other words, the so-called automatic landing sequence programming mm -hmm. and as well as these thrusters could be a problem. I am not sure but I think we so. have we'll wait to hear from ISRO what the data shows. On the public publicity side, the PM was there, there was a lot of media attention to this. Do you think um, the way that Israel approaches the media and doing really live transmissions of launches and landings in the future, should, in, should Israel re rethink that or do you think they're okay? No, this is something very funny. You see, supposing you do everything, in, for example right now when Israel is not speaking anything about it, then there is a big horn cry <laughs> saying that you are not telling me anything what has been done. If you tell everything, then you say, no, 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 you are hyping it too high. I feel there is nothing. Uh, yeah, I think ISRO is a very decent uh, organization. I don't think that they have any ulterior motives for doing anything. No, I, I agree. Uh, ISRO has seen setbacks like this before. All space agencies see setbacks like this. And it's just a matter of time before it comes back. Just one last topic. I, I was intrigued by your paper you published about a week ago. It's in the New India Express. In the India Express, yeah. New Express. And in there, one aspect of the piece that you wrote uh, talked about uh, an Asian space agency, a bit like the European Space Agency, but it would be headed by India with countries like Sri Lanka, Bhutan, Indonesia. You didn't mention China. Is that uh, never on the cards, you think? No, it, it, it is there. China and uh, Pakistan for that matter. Right. And uh, even uh, Japan. Uh -huh. The question is, there are about something like 23, 25 countries. Right. Which we call it as Asian countries. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is, somebody may have an option, say they may not join you. And they but I... I only propose the concept, okay. I strongly believe that this concept will be good for Asia, number one. Number two, if you really look at it like countries like Indonesia, Vietnam, Sri Lanka, Malay, etc. Then finally, competence-wise, if you look at it, it could be China and India. Now, one of them could compete for the leader's post. The question is, we are proposing this. now. China may join or may not join. Right. If it doesn't join, then there is no argument required. Right. Now, if they join and if they also say that we want to do the leader's post, it has to be negotiated, discussed where each country stands. Right. Now, with respect to technology, with respect to various achievements, naturally, I would like to say that uh, we are in no way inferior to you. 
So well, let me just question that, just with your insight. China has landed successfully on the lunar surface. Yeah. Uh, I mean, China has got a substantial history of human spaceflight already. They've had a space station in orbit. Would you not say China is ahead? No. no. For that matter, China has failed in their Mangalya. Mars mission. So can I say that I am better than you? No, but exactly. On the, <laughs> but on the, on, on the bigger picture. Sure, I mean, no, I, I think we should look at it from two, three aspects. One is, uh, technologically, mm -hmm. if you really look at it, right. both are almost equal. I would say, you can't say that uh, space station. Space station is two years from now for us. No, they already had one, Tiananmen one. That's okay. So yeah. they have space station. Yeah. They have a dozen people in space. No, no. Actually, a space station means nothing for interplanetary travel. It's only a prelude. It's only a prior step before you go. In so, the... so, do you think India should not proceed with this proposed space station? I'm not saying so. No, I'm only saying. I'm only saying. See, now we are in the process of discussing and deciding who is the leader. No, for that matter. It's not that, uh, you know, we are talking about uh, some small uh, country at some lowest level and another country at a highest level. We are talking about almost in equal levels. Well, this is the interesting thing that really is writing from an engineer and a scientist with such a track record that you have. You would put India and China, when it comes to space programs, at the same. I thought China would be well ahead, no? It is an impression you got it. I don't know. Can I ask you back, how do you say that just because they got into the other side of the moon and they have a space station? Is that what you are talking about? And they've had so many people in space. I, if you really look at it, uh -huh. they are talking about landing a man in the moon only in 2030. But that's, that's not, no, <laughs> it matters. <laughs> they are not planning to land a man in the next year to come. They are planning to land a man 30 to 11 years from now. Now, the kind of, um, it's very fascinating this conversation. I'm really intrigued because the kind of um, view you expressed is the sort of view I would expect it from a politician type person. But from an engineer, you will know that China launched more spacecraft last year, about 39, in one year than even Russia, Russia and America. I would, I would, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm not saying you shouldn't bother, but I'm just saying. No, no, from my argument, I'm saying. Yeah. Art, what does it mean? You mean to say that if supposing if somebody launches more space, yeah. more rockets, they are better than the other fellow. I think it shows that. In fact, I would put the other way around. Uh -huh. They are not good. That's why they keep launching many things. Oh, right. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I am only saying, in order to prove my point, I am saying, there are people who spent, uh, I don't know how to put it, but let me put it this way. See, the number of people working in space and then the amount of money spent on uh, you look at our own history yes. the ISRO's own history i have an engine which has never failed even once in the entire 46 uh, it is highly reliable uh -huh. now our reliability see we may not know how to do business that's a different <laughs> but reliability wise first mission itself we got the success in mars even here it's a matter of just uh, a small... It's a remarkably successful. So, so I, I, I am very strong. You see, we take into account everything. Mm -hmm. And we we do in an economical way mm -hmm. to meet the requirement. It means if I have to wait for some time to understand this. Mm -hmm. For example, there was a leak in the Chandrayaan 2. Mm -hmm. 
we could have gone ahead honestly speaking we could have gone ahead it would have been a success but we hold it we were holding it and we rectified it decently so my point is we do not hurry up things we just calculate and we don't even take any risks that's why we all our missions are nearly successful because of that so i feel your impression china is way ahead is an illusion no i don't say way ahead but certainly ahead unquestionably yeah ahead means how 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 much is i don't know you can measure it but um, yeah. very very interesting let me ask you again on the same theme asian space agency in your long experience has that ever popped up before as the I have been dreaming about it for quite some time. I'll tell you, I have been told, I am telling this in some occasions in a minimal manner. But then I thought that this is the time to tell this loud and clear. So that's why I started this uh, in the next year's article. Then in some of the national channels, I take over the same news. I still strongly believe that, uh, you see, what, what are we talking? Supposing China and ourselves, who is the leader, argument's sake, I'm saying. Supposing I give it to him that you be the leader and uh, I will do it, or he may give it to me saying that you be the leader. The question is, it is not in the same case like uh, European Space Agency, where the French is undoubtedly the leader. All other people are subservient to the technology part of it, like Spain, like Portuguese, Belgium, like mm-hmm. American story is something different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I am of the opinion that. in the interest see I, i think that the exploration of outer space mm-hmm. is not going to be possible by nasa and nisa alone mm-hmm. the funding is going to be extraordinarily high yep and we, after all it is for the mankind yeah so if you have nisa <laughs> nasa and nisa yeah. then you can collectively together manpower mm-hmm. see locations for example uh, for monitoring for tracking for communication and even overflight so for so many things the member countries will be very helpful so that you won't have any. it's not the superiority of somebody's uh, technology which matters so i strongly believe it's a thing to reckon with so it, it has to come you mentioned pakistan and china traditionally these are very difficult political hurdles to cross do you see something in the near future where india and pakistan and china at least india and china do cooperate in space i strongly believe it i I'll, i'll tell you i strongly believe it it is a matter of the political will of both the countries you do make compromises on many matters had you ever believe originally once upon a time before 1991 that russia will reach this division and then <laughs> so it is a matter of for uh, that matter i would even say the russian technologies are so far superior to many of our uh, other technologies but they are not able to play the way you know they are selling very guys buying the audible uh, engine from uh, russia and then they are using it in their atlas the rd 180 yes 180 yeah so you are hopeful of uh, more space things coming out of asia generally india and china I think it's my desire that they should come together. Now, if the will of both the countries, the leaders of both the countries are in favor of that, I think we gain in the sense. We means I am not meaning Indians. The, the the society gains. And on that, I think I share your view. I think all of humanity 
will benefit if only I stay with Yeah. Nambi Narayan, thank you very much indeed for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much.